I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of Cost That Bottle. That's right, we're playing a game show where you guess the cost of that bottle. In our first game tonight, all of our contestants will guess the price of a bottle of wine. Now remember, whoever is closest to the retail price of the bottle without going over will go on to play in our next game. Let's take a second to bring on down some contestants. Linda, come on down. And where are you from, Linda? From the Outer Banks. Linda, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming down. Who else do we have on the show? Come on down, Eric. Eric. My name is Eric uh, from Lake Zurich, Illinois. Illinois, wonderful. Lake Zurich. What's uh, what's going on in Lake Zurich, Illinois these days? Um, I haven't lived there in like 20 years, so I don't know. <laughs> That's where I'm originally from. Is anything happening there now? I, I don't know. It I might haven't. <laughs> there might be something, but it's... You left. Did all your friends leave too? They have, yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> Let's see who else we got. We've got Carly. Carly. Hi, my name is Carly. I'm from Chicago. Nice to have you, Carly. And last but not least, Karen. Karen, what's going on? Hey, y'all. Okay, y'all, for tonight's first game, we are going to play Cost That Bottle. Tonight's bottle is a bottle of Arndorfer Gruner Veltliner, 2012. This is a Comptal Reserve. It's from the Strasser Weinberger Vineyard. Now, contestants, what are your guesses? Can you cost that bottle? Yes, Lin- I can. Yes, you can. All right, Collie's pretty confident about this. Linda, what is your guess? Uh, $17.99. All right, Linda, you remember, you can't go over the price, but you can come in just under it. $17.99. Yes, yes, $17.99. Linda's sticking with $17.99. Carly, what have we got? $96.99. Whoa! Whoa! $96.99. That's an awful lot for a bottle of Gruner Veltliner. Let's... What are you pay in the city of Chicago? <laughs> Carly's thinking in Chicago prices and Chicago dollars. Karen, what do you say? $50. $50, also a hefty price for a bottle of Gruner Veltliner. She's going for it. And last but not least, Eric, what 
is the cost of a bottle of Arndorfer 2012 Gruner Veltliner? Um, I'm going to go $20. $20, are you sure? Because you have to come in just under the price. $19.95. You're going to go with $19.95. Let's see where we're at. The bottle of Arndorfer Gruner Veltliner is $19.95. Eric guessed it. Woo! <laughs> Eric, you guessed it right on the nose. Wonderful, young man. All right, fantastic. And now our runner-up Linda will blind taste a bottle of wine. And tell us how much it costs. You must guess a price that is close to the actual retail price without going over it. If you do, you win. A free case of beer! A case, a whole case. Wow. Okay, so... A lot more than Let's one. Let's see. It's dry. Um, I was going to say 20, but I think maybe that's a little high. How about thinking about 17.99? Okay, Linda's going to stay with the 17.99. Let's find out what the actual retail price of this wine is. The wine that is in your glass is La Bella Fernanda White Tempranillo, and its actual retail cost is twenty-one. I won! I won! Did I win? You won! I won! Oh my god! Oh! I get a whole case of beer. Oh my god! So the actual retail price was twenty-one ninety-nine, and Linda guessed just under that. Way to go, Linda! And now for the final Wine Case Showdown. Our top two winners will compete against each other for the Wine Case Showdown. We have two showcases today. Our first showcase is a 12-bottle case of Pinot Grigio. Right on the beach. My kind of stuff. So this is a case of Pinot Grigio to enjoy on the beach, plus a pizza. Oh, my God. Okay. Now, Linda, you are our number one winner so far today. Are you going to take this showcase and guess on it, or are you going to guess on the next showcase? I like that thing on the beach. I'm going to go with this one. Okay, Linda's sticking with this showcase. Linda, now the only rule is you have to guess the price of this within $250, and you cannot go over the price. So, Linda, how much do you think this case of Pinot Grigio will cost you, plus a pizza? Oh, man. I don't know. Oh, this is tough. I'm thinking... A thousand! Oh, gosh, no. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking $60, $75. And maybe the pizza, another five. $80. $80. Yeah. $5 for a pizza. I haven't seen those prices... Uh, Mm. Maybe with a coupon. <laughs> You're trying to sway me. All right, I'm going to go. I'll go higher. Um, I'm going to do 95. 95. That's pretty cheap wine, though, isn't it? Yeah. Wait a minute. Higher. Higher, higher. higher. Okay. Higher. All right. I'm Stay. blowing it. I'm Stay. blowing it. $200. How's that? $200. I went from what? 60 to 200 $200. So your final answer is $200 for... A uh, Pinot Grigio, a case of Pinot Grigio, and a pizza to enjoy on the beach. How much is in a case? Twelve bottles. Ooh. Do you want to rethink your answer? Can I? Of course. 
I have to be below, right? Yes. yes. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to stick with my answer. With, uh, which, with, with which answer? Oh, how many did I have? I had quite a few, didn't I? Um, 250, is that what I said? No, what did I say? <laughs> 200. 200. Oh, well, let's do 250. I'm going to do 250. 250? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, how much would you pay for a bottle of Pinot Grigio? I have no idea. Well, think of how much do you pay for a bottle of Pinot Grigio? Uh, less than that. Well, no, about $9, $10. Now times that by 12. Uh, what did I say again? You can't go over? You I can't, can't go but over. I'm, but, but 250. You 250. I think you're yeah, good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I think you're good. You can't go over. Can't go over. Are you sure about this, Linda? $10 a bottle of wine. Yeah, times 12. Times 12. Is what? 120. 120. 120. 120. Oh, 120. Oh, is getting pretty expensive, isn't it? Yeah. Are you giving me yeah. hints here? <laughs> I'm just trying to help you out, Linda. You're giving Eric all these clues. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but he's guessing on a different one. Yeah, he guessed. Um, oh. All right. Okay. So I went way too high. All right. I'm gonna do. All right. I'm gonna do a hundred. Okay. <laughs> We've got it. Linda's final guess is a hundred. Yeah. Um, a hundred. And this is your final answer. That's my final answer. All right, wonderful. Yeah. The actual cost of a case of Pinot Grigio plus a pizza is... 152! Oh, wow. Wow. Those clues I couldn't miss. <laughs> so, Linda, now everything's riding on Eric's guess of the next showcase. Ah. Because if he wins, everything changes and we have to, we have, to have a showdown. Okay, so here we go. What's Eric going to guess? Eric, you are our runner-up today in today's competition, so let's see what we've got for you next. A 12-pack of DRC Romani Conti 1996 3-liter bottles. Woo! That's right, Eric. If you guess this price right, you'll win a case of DRC Romani Conti 3-liters plus a Coravan. Woo! Now remember, a three liter is four times the size of a normal bottle of wine. And this is Pinot Noir from France. And a Coravan is a little machine that helps you take wine out of a bottle without popping the cork. Okay, so we've got, we've got 12 three liter bottles of Pinot Noir from France, and we've got a Coravan thrown in there. Now the only rule is, is that you have to guess the price right within $250 of the actual price without going over. So, what are you thinking, Eric? Um, so a 12-pack of gigantic bottles of wine. Yes. Is that what we're... <laughs> That's what's at stake here. Is that what we're getting at? Yes. Okay. Um, but it's not just any wine. It's from where? Where is it from? It's from France. It's from Burgundy, and it's DRC Romani Conti. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say eight hundred dollars. Eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Eight hundred dollars plus the Coravan. What's the what's the Coravan again? It's a fancy machine that allows you to take wine out of a bottle without opening the bottle. It's like a little needle that you put in through the cork. Oh, cool. what's the advantage of that? Well, you can drink uh, wine without opening the bottle, and it lasts a really long time afterward. Okay. So Eric's guess for 12 gigantic bottles of DRC Romani Conti 1996 plus a Coravan, 
The final guess is... $2,000. All right, he's holding fast at $2,000. Lower! Lower? Carly's suggesting he guesses lower. Eric, are you going to be swayed by that? <laughs> no. He's not going to be... <laughs> you should have seen her throwing a Frisbee earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's I'm not find any advice from her. <laughs> now, for the chance to win this amazing prize. Now, the actual retail cost of a case of DRC Romani Conti Magnums plus a Coravan is $840,000. That's right, $840,000. <laughs> <laughs> that is some. Is the, the one piece. How much is the piece that lets you take out the wine without opening it? Oh. Oh, so that's where that number comes. Take the gadget. All right. Well, now I just want to thank all of my contestants for playing today. You get beer, you get pizza, and you get Pinot Grigio. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thank you to all our contestants. Thank you to uh, thank you to Carly. Thank you to Karen. Thank you to Eric, who was our runner-up today, and thank you to Linda, who was our winner. Woo! Yay! It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at OffsetPartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand nathan adams on the show of red and white wines hello sir how are you I'm well. How are you doing today? Nice to see you. So you were working at restaurants in Atlanta. Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, 96. I moved down there for about two years and spent some time in the in the back of the house, you know, studying uh, with some chefs at a couple of restaurants and had my share of Atlanta and, and decided to move back to the Midwest, to Illinois in 97. Um, moved to Chicago for the first time and began working Within two weeks of getting here at Brasserie Joe with Jean Joho, an Alsatian restaurant. Who's a big deal in, in Chicago chef history. Yes, yes. And at the time, 
I think he had Everstrom as well. Uh, Brasserie was kind of the younger, uh, cooler, hipper place of the moment and really got thrown into the world of wine at Brasserie Joe. But you'd also been doing some traveling before. You'd been to Belgium in Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my roots with food and wine started in the kitchens, you know, with my mom, with my aunt, really falling in love with what they were doing, fascinated. And from there, it moved into beer. My brother and I, uh, I think, tried to trick my father into getting us uh, drunk or making beer for us when we first started in college. So we bought him a, a home brewing kit, and he took his time, unfortunately for us, to start brewing, but he learned the craft. And first trip to Europe was in 95, and 10 days tasting every day with my with my father, uh, lots of different beers, and discovered the world of lambics and goose, and uh, yeah. So that's, I, I think, what got me into the drinking uh, realm. Beyond the standard flavor set. Sure, sure, beyond the domestic pilsners and lagers that we... We know so well. But in 97, you moved to Chicago and you segued into wine and you were working kind of as a helper apprentice in the program. At- I was. Yeah, I did some management training with um, and learned some corporate stuff through uh, Let Us Entertain You, which is kind of the head. That was what Brasserie and, and Everstrom were, the company they were with. And what was it like working with them? Well, it was a great experience. It's intense. There are a lot of staff, lots of responsibilities. So I basically was um, a floor manager for a year and a half, and I was apprenticing under Beth Hetherington, who was the GM uh, and wine buyer. She actually is a life partner and a business partner with Mike Corso. And Mike's one of the older gents in the Chicago scene on the importing side. He's been doing that for a long time. But uh, was fascinated. Beth was super passionate, is still super passionate about wine. And uh, I really, the light clicked pretty, pretty quickly. You know, we had tastings almost on a daily basis she would open up wine on staff meetings and management meetings and i was essentially just thrown thrown in head first into the world of wine and eventually you went to gordon restaurant yeah i I switched over to gordon was tired of the long super long hours managing and decided to uh i got offered a position to serve at gordon which was one of the kind of first tried and true you know prior to michelin stuff in chicago a four-star we, uh, we did daily five course that changed. Uh, I was there when Don Yamauchi was the chef and Michael Gaspard was the sous chef. Uh, it was intense, um, you know, pairing wines with the courses. Because things but, were changing but, a lot. Yeah, yeah. A great experience, though. And was able to make a, a bit of loot serving, which was nice and what I kind of wanted at the time. A little less responsibility and uh, more of the passion side and learning more about, about food and, and wine in the, um, in the pairing world, too. But when Brasserie Joe looks for a beverage director later, they reached out to you. They did. One of the managing partners uh, offered me a position to come back and to oversee the, the wine program, which I did in 99, 2000, and spent another year there under, essentially, Chef Joho. What was he like? He was a great guy to work with. He's really intense. But he's got like a really funny kind of uh, soft side, uh, a great sense of humor. But everything passed through him. So it was a lot of tastings. I've never tasted with someone that was so quick. Uh, We would run through, you know, 10 wines in two minutes, like lickety split. But I, I learned a lot more about regionally specific because the list was, I think, entirely French. 
Yeah, he, he had Alsace heritage. Very heavy, yes. He's from Alsace and a very heavy list uh, on that side. But it was more bistro wines, whereas Everest, he's got quite a collection there. Things move on and you end up meeting Tom McDonald. Yes, uh, I met Tom McDonald in 2004 and went to work at Webster's Wine Bar uh, in the kitchen. Needed uh, a little respite from the front of the house and decided to spend some time in the back. And it's a really tiny kitchen. Uh, would go in in the morning and prep for service and then, you know, run the line at night. Essentially may have a helper on the weekends, but smaller kitchen, less food focused, more wine focused. Kind of romantic hip happening space. On the yeah. Floor. Dark candle lit kind of a cave on the edges of town kind of stuff. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually in a kind of a weird spot in Chicago. It's along the, the river, more of an industrial area but was the longest standing wine bar in Chicago uh, up until just recent when it actually, I think he just sold the business. And uh, it was there 20 years. You were there in 04, which was about midway through. What was it like? then? Yeah. Great staff. You know, that's actually when I met Jeremy, Jeremy Quinn. Quinn and some other staff members that I've come across throughout my time in Chicago since then, folks that moved on to open up a Vec restaurant. Um, I was there briefly, four or five months, and then was asked to oversee a, a small neighborhood spot in Lincoln Square to manage the bar and the wine program. And it was really simple. Also from Tom? No, actually oh, okay. not from Tom, another restaurant. That came, the other restaurant from Tom was Bluebird in 2007. So what's Tom like? Tom's uh, really laid back. By far, I think the easiest person to work with from an owner standpoint. Uh, he essentially relied on staff to do the managing and to make decisions. I think everybody that works at his places has a really good base knowledge of product, of food and wine, and he kind of lets you go from there and make make your own decisions. And there seems to be like a lot of travel involved. Sure, they do trips. I never got to go on one of those trips, but they do trips at least yearly where they take staff sometimes twice a year the different uh, regions of the world and, and really immerse um, and see some great producers and spend some time. But at some point you started doing a lot of traveling. How did it come about? One was through my wife, actually, uh, meeting my wife in Chicago uh, in right around 2004, actually. We first started dating when I was at Webster's and she's from Argentina. So I took my first trip down to South America in 2005 and got to visit some producers in Uruguay. Outside of that, you know, just this recent trip that I've spent uh, over in Europe, it's been pretty much a focus on on the shop, on red and white. 2007, I developed the idea with uh, my friend Sean. So we started to uh, create this idea of opening up an organic kind of a, a biodynamic wine shop in Chicago. And it took us about a year to for him to design and build some of the shelving units. Because Sean had a carpentry background in his family. He does. Yeah. Craftsman. Um, he does great work. It kind of launched a whole business for him because this was his first build out. Uh, and then he's doing restaurant build outs now. Because it was to this day. like restored barn. Old barnwood from Wisconsin. Very unique shelving units. So kind of a restaurant look in a retail space. Absolutely. And I think that was part of the idea. We had that in mind for the future that if we ever wanted to expand the business and maybe look for a 
uh, licensing to pour by the glass and to serve some food. Which is something you do now. Yes, yes. Uh, pursuing that at the moment, absolutely. Excited for it. I think it's, the shop's been there for six years. It'll be six years in July. And I think it's time uh, to take that next step. I think it's been, retail has been a whole other experience for me because I've mostly just done restaurant work. But Sean had worked at Uva for about three years. Yeah, Sean spent some time in Brooklyn. Yeah, and moved back to Chicago and I was ready to pull the trigger and, and start start a business. And he was too. And we collaborated on this idea and came to fruition. And, you know, we're here. I actually bought out Sean two years ago in May. So I'm the sole, the sole partner now at Red and White. Uh, and he is doing a lot of GC work, restaurant build outs. Yeah. And still pursuing the same I- the ideals that we had when we opened up the shop, which is relying on, you know, good farmer focused wines, small production, native yeast, ferments. How did you get to that place? I feel that wine is something that we definitely ingest and consume. And I don't know, I think I had a couple wines that, that opened up my mind. One was an old vintage Agino from uh, La Stopa. And then the other was from uh, Christian Chaussard, Patapon, that I think really opened up my eyes to what the possibilities were with low sulfur intervention and uh, natural farming. Yeah. And we, you know, it's, it's something that we've developed in the first couple of years and I continue to pursue. That's what we focus on at the shop. You know, I think it's a lot of fun for us nowadays because people really have trust and they rely on us to, I think, open up their minds to new things. So Um, it's in West Bucktown and that's where you live. Uh, it's in West Bucktown. I lived in West Bucktown in Ukrainian Village for years until actually 2007. Uh, my wife and I purchased a place up in Rogers Park. Uh, we have a now a nine-year-old. There's a little more space up there, a little less concrete, a little greener. But why West Bucktown? Well, I think the the areas. It's a pretty trendy neighborhood. Uh, even before we moved in, it was. It's actually changed a lot gentrification a touch it's an old artist community and was pretty divey back in the mid 90s uh, i used to travel up here to see my brother uh, and we would go out to bars in the in the neighborhoods and it was pretty uh, shady it has really changed dramatically and there's a lot of boutique shops in the neighborhood we're just out of the six corners which is kind of the known area on milwaukee towards we're kind of in between Bucktown and as you're heading into Logan Square, which is kind of the newer, quote unquote, Brooklyn spot of uh, Chicago. And you had worked at a couple restaurants in Logan Square, so it was an area you were familiar with. Sure. Yes. And when Bluebird opened in 2007, we had already found the location and were in negotiations to sign the lease. So it was a good move for all of us. I essentially dragged uh, Sean and, and another friend over to start working at Bluebird while we were building out Red and White. And then, yeah, so it took us a a year. We opened about a year after Bluebird Restaurant had opened. And then a couple years later, in 2011, I went to help at Telegraph as well, open up that wine bar, which was... Going back to help with Tom McDonald. Yeah, exactly. I still kept working at Bluebird for four years after Red and White opened. So I was doing double time. You're a boomerang restaurant guy. 
Well, we, you know, it's every few years, just trying to make uh, <laughs> go back and work for that dude yeah. you work for. No, just trying to make uh, ends meet, essentially, yeah, yeah. just uh, extra income as we're trying to build the business and take take as little money as possible out of the new shop. So, and it seems like the idea from the beginning was relatively small inventory shop, as opposed to say the big box model that Chicago yes. also has. Yes, it's definitely the other side. We probably carry 100 to 110 whites and reds, you know, including bubbles. And we do some small amounts of spirits and some uh, small amounts of beer. But yeah, it was always a, kind of a hand sell idea. No bottle markers, no notes on the, on the shelves. We pretty much have always treated it like a restaurant wine list. Uh, everything's in there because we love it. And yeah, we're, we're there to talk about the wines, so... It's a little more interactive, unless you know what you're looking for. And I think people have come to realize they can find very certain things at the shop that they may not be able to find anywhere else in the city. And so we get that crowd that comes in too, that just enjoys industry people that enjoy a day off coming and seeing what we have and what they're going to take home and, and drink that night. So it's not a shop that relies on huge selection or on discount pricing, but rather on relationships that are often local. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a great neighborhood base. Our, our, our base clientele is in the neighborhood. I think we are trying to reach a bigger crowd. Uh, we have reached, I think, national and international. We get some visitors from, from out of town that come in that know what to expect, uh, what the selection is. So that's fun, too. Uh, seeing the out-of-towners wanting to come in and get some rare bottles. Not expensive, but just things that they may not be able to find in their, their home market or uh, elsewhere in Chicago. Because in a way, Chicago is kind of the outpost in the Midwest for fine wine options. I think so. I think between the East Coast and the West Coast, yes, we get some great stuff here and in it's fun. We, we have the uh, ability, I think, because it's not the bigger market like New York or like Los Angeles or, or San Francisco, where we get some older vintages that sometimes are here and they're cellared and they're in good, good condition that we can tap into. Because there's not so much local demand for certain things that you're really into and that might fly out the door in, say, New York or San Francisco. Absolutely. But kick around the pipeline a little bit longer yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Maybe only a handful of buyers either know about or are going are gonna to bring into their, you know, onto their wine list or onto their shelves. But then you have to translate that to the customer. We do. And, and we do a lot of tastings at the shop. We love having winemakers in town when, when we can, you know, when they're traveling. But we also do our own tastings two days a week. We open up anywhere from three to five wines each tasting. And I think that's a great way for us to give the audience an idea of what types of wines we have and uh, what the possibilities are outside of, you know, your normal selections. Because sometimes people talk about Chicago as a largely new world market and is largely varietal driven. Do you find that as a challenge? You know, I think when we first opened, we were really hesitant to go full, full bore, full guns ablazing. And we did, but we took it easy on how far I think we were going to push the boundaries I think within a year we realized that base clientele loved what we had and were excited to try new things. And that's, I think, the huge plus for me is to have people come back over and over 
and to see, yes, they can go to old favorites. I mean, we're pretty heavy. Obviously, you know, we, we rely on France quite a bit. It's kind of the base. But then we sell quite a bit of Italian, of German, of Austrian, uh, of Spanish. So it's, it's mostly, you know, European. Uh, but we do have a sprinkle of, of New World varietals and, and things in there that fit our interests, um, that are harmonious and uh, balanced and I think are food friendly. Yeah, we sell, we still sell a lot of Malbec, for example. We sell a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. It's, you know, the, the customer base calls for that. And it, it's not a problem at all. I, I enjoy that there's such a younger group, a generation of consumers of wine that's coming up. And I think it's fantastic. And, you know, you have to start somewhere. And I think those more widely known varietals are easy for them to come into a shop and say, hey, I'm looking for this. And we can maybe give them an alternative, whether it's the same varietal or something that may share some common traits of that varietal and get them into some native grapes. How many regular customers does it take to support a small shop that has 150 selections? Yeah, that's a good one. I I don't think I could put a number on that, but I think we have, it's always since day one been a place for people to come in. And also let us know, hey, this is what I'm having for dinner tonight. What do you suggest? And that has been since day one. And I really appreciate that. I think it's more of a slow food, slow wine movement where I think there's the U.S., the the workforce. We work a lot of hours in this country and work really long days. And I think it's great to have a base clientele come in and still take the time to go to a specialty shop where... As opposed to, you know, they could get their groceries and their wine or their, their drinks all in one, one place to save time. They actually still come in and do that, which I think is super. Because in Chicago, they sell wine in supermarkets. So. They do, yes. Unlike in New York City. Yeah, they not, don't do not that the case. Yeah. yeah. So you're competing with that idea that someone could pick up the Oscar Mayer meat, the Kraft cheese. and Or go to, you know, one of the bigger, quote-unquote, organic stores. And yeah, uh, where the selection may be a little bit more... There may be a tighter, you know, uh, uh, feel on, on the selection so they can get, they can find some of the organic wines in those bigger markets, in those bigger uh, grocery markets. So we're always happy that they come to us. And I think part of that's also customer service. I mean, I think that's one trait that goes between retail and restaurant. That's a necessity. And I think that people love. And what about the BYOB market and Chicago. I mean, what about people bringing wine to restaurants? Do you see them stop by retail to pick some up? Yeah, that's an, it's an interesting city. I don't know any other city that has as many BYO restaurants as Chicago and in as big of a market. Well, probably Philly, but Philly. Okay. You know, I think part of that has to do with maybe licensing and some of the hoops that you may have to jump through. It also, you know, there's insurance issues. There are a lot of issues on the, from the restaurant side, but we're blessed with a few in the neighborhood that do some interesting food and that are also really busy. And so that's another angle of people coming in on a nightly basis and saying, Hey, I'm going to this restaurant or that restaurant. And we can kind of break down maybe their meal, um, or at least the type of cuisine that they're going to go eat and try to pair stuff. Do you find yourself stocking wines from regions that are like there's a restaurant that's a BYOB in your neighborhood that does Spanish. So you're like, oh, well, it's easier for us to sell Spanish wine. Then. Yeah. You know, we have a, a BYO across the street that's extremely busy. And the one thing that we carry um, is actually a beer. 
to Costa Rican restaurant. So we have a Costa Rican beer always uh, in the cooler and we sell a, a ton of it just simply because, and I think it's the only Costa Rican restaurant in town. You can sell beer in a wine shop in Chicago. Yes, we can do that too. So it's spirits, beer, all in the same. It's a retail license uh, off premise. Yeah. And what about spirits? What's that market like for you? You know, Chicago's a, the movement with beer and with craft cocktails is still on the, I think the uprise. So I think there are a lot of people that are seeking out. There's some great places to go and enjoy some mixology, some cocktails in the city. So I think there are, there's a clientele that wants to come in and experience that at home or at least try it at home. So we carry some local stuff, you know, everything small batch in the liquor department too. You know, sales are obviously less. I mean, wine is kind of king for us at the shop. And then beer, it's and spirit. Uh, I'm sorry. Beer, it's, that's a good one. That's the next category that's going to really hit <laughs> it the is. market. Well, it's it's already happening, right? I mean, they're mixing beers with cocktails. Um, yeah, the beer and spirits kind of fall below that. But we move some, we move some product and we find some interesting things to put on the shelves. And sometimes they're open and available f- for folks to try. And uh, yeah. What about licensing? I mean, was that a difficulty for you guys when you were starting a white retail shop? I think licensing is always difficult in a major city. It was no more difficult, I don't think, than than the next place. You know, you have to run it through your your local alderman, your ward, uh, your constituents that are in the neighborhood and let them know that you're not going to be doing anything. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we don't sell, for example, half pints you know, we're not that type of shop or 40 ounces of beer, uh, just reassuring the, the neighborhood. Uh, and then it just takes time, which I think is normal for anybody in Chicago. But I don't see a lot of small independent re- retailers in Chicago. Do you think the deck is stacked against them legislatively? Or? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think there are a handful of kind of small shops in Chicago that may not have the same focus, but are not big box stores. But it is, you're right, it's it's tiny because we do compete with some bigger stores that have multiple chains throughout the Chicagoland area. I, I, I'm not sure why. I, I hope that, I think the culture of wine is changing in Chicago in a, in a po- very positive way. Uh, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of consumption with the younger generations that are interested in wine. And I think that's part of what we try to do at Red and White is change the culture a little bit and let people know that there are other grapes to enjoy out there besides you know the the really well-known ones that are planted you know anywhere in the world so it sounds like trying to share with people some of the personal revelations that you had along your way yeah absolutely and i think it's really important you know the the trust issue there's got to be a link from the uh the producer to the importer to the distributor to then the retailer or restaurateur there has to be that trust established otherwise we have we have nothing to base, you know, our philosophy, our, our, our notions on. I mean, we believe in, you know, those farmers that are doing stuff uh, naturally. And, you know, we believe in the importers that are bringing the wines in. And um, we have to buy from those distributors and rely on them that they're storing the wines properly, that we get them in good condition. And then we, we take it from there. Do you find that younger people are more open to that narrative or is it all across age groups? I think the younger people are, I think they're definitely more open, but you know, we have a clientele that's 
I would say in the mid thirties to, to mid forties that also are really excited to be turned on to, to new things. I think wine for us speaks of place of origin. I mean, quality is obviously, you know, the, the number one thing, but for me, what we try to convey is that wine can take me to a, you know, a specific place. And that's what I love about experiencing, you know, wine with food and with, with friends is, uh, I can be transported and we try to, you know, we hope that people that enjoy these wines that come in to buy at the shop have that similar feeling. Are there specific moments you had on travels that really influenced you in that direction where you said, you know, I'd really like to translate this for other people too. It's always great to go and see the producers actually where, where the vines are and where they're doing their work. And it's super inspiring. I mean, we, uh, I just got back from uh, Austria and Italy and Slovenia and yeah, it's, it's very reassuring to go to those places and to see these specific producers and the effort that is being put into, you know, their land and to their wines. And then, you know, it's inspiring for me to come back and then share that story, share those stories with the clientele. Are there certain suppliers or certain importers or certain growers that you feel especially close to? We rely really heavily on a few importers, LDM, you know, Dresner, uh, Savio, Suarez, Thies, or Skernik. We do some Jenny and Francois. I love some of those, those producers. And then there's some local guys here too that have started to distribute their own wines. You know, we rely on Candid Wines, which is uh, a younger company. They actually started right around when we did, and they've got a great portfolio and they're really focused. Robert Hood, we saw a lot of, but that's through the the Skrinik, you know, from New York. But they're starting to import some really uh, cool stuff on their own too. You know, Peter Wygant, uh, I love, you know, selling those wines. But do you think with a smaller selection that you can then actually move some volume of those 150? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that's the beauty, you know, even if the wines are in such small production and we may not get our hands on a lot or I have to special order from the importers that are maybe based in New York or in California, I can at least put the order in and then wait, you know, patiently for the wines to show up. And then once they do, we can move, you know, some good amounts. And that's always great. It's always sad, though, too, when the wines are gone and then I have to wait for that next, you know, shipment that may or may not be coming. So. Kind of one of the headaches of the small production game. It is. It is. And, you know, I think these wines also sell, the wines that we're seeking out sell so well in in some of the other markets. Um, We just have to bide our time and wait patiently and see what can come through. And, you know, I'm I'm happy in Chicago that there are a a few wine buyers that are starting to pick up on these types of wines. And so it helps us to bring in because to at least put the yeah put the like, pressure. Well, there's a few guys, so I'll send a few cases out there. Yes, exactly, and and, and for the, the to reassure the distributors here too that the wine's going to move through. We'll move the wines. Yeah, let's get them into the market and let's uh, let's move the wines. So, what do you think about your peers in Chicago area? Well, I think you know it's a it's a, um, a growing movement and it's a, a small group of people, and I think Chicago is definitely a food driven town. So I think there's a little bit of hesitancy to go full bore into the really natural wine side. For me, there's no other way. I mean, that's just what we want to do. And those are the wines that we, I personally want to sit down and drink. But there is a small movement amongst some some buyers. And I think it's picking up some steam. And um, 
you know, there's some great new places opening up seemingly, you know, every month. I mean, there are spots that are opening up and I think there's more and more of a focus and also like a younger wine buyer of a focus on some of these cool, small production, organically made wines. So do you think in a way it's being helped along by generational change of the buyers? I think a bit. I think there has been a lack maybe of like an apprenticeship in Chicago where you're studying with a sommelier or a buyer for an extended amount of time. Um, I think that's changing. I think people are really seeking out work specifically in wine in the city with the thought of learning, you know, quite a bit and, and seeing what the possibilities are. I mean, so yeah, I think the younger generation is really, really hip to that. Let's spend some time with some folks that, that really know their stuff. And from there, they can move into certain positions and yeah, and hopefully change, you know, for the better what we're drinking in Chicago. But at the same time, you're in your 40s and you're one of the more on the edge of the shops in terms of your selections. So does it take also a certain comfort level with, you know, I'm comfortable with my decisions and myself and this is what I'm into and I'm going to support that. Like, does it take also, a, you know, in a way that we think of younger generations being more open, but does it also take a, a certain sense of self-confidence to stick with it? I think so. I mean, you, you've got to, you know, it takes a leap of faith to even open up, you know, any, it doesn't matter, any business. But, you know, for me, it's not, it's not a trend. Like the organic thing is not a trend. It's since day one, we opened and it will continue to be. Uh, those are the wines. These are the wines that we want to sell. And it's a niche market, I think, in Chicago, more so than the bigger markets. But it's what I want to sell to people. So yeah, it's not difficult, you know, for me at all. It's, it's not a trend for me. It's just a way of, a way of being, it's a way of living. You know, I want to know where my food comes from. I want to know where my wines come from too. So it seems like a very personal relationship. You're not doing a lot of work online or probably not over the phone. It seems like one by one people come to the store and you sell them a bottle of wine. Yeah. We're that's, I'm probably lacking on that business side uh, I think it'll come. Um, I think there's room to grow online and we don't take a, you know, it's not a lot of backdoor orders where um, we've got phone calls coming in, ordering certain, certain things. I think uh, the, the mailer and the online growth can be pretty big. Um, I think these first five years have been establishing, you know, the brand red and white and what we're selling and then we're going to take, you know, I think the second phase is going to be seeking out an on-premise license and pouring by the glass and putting in a small kitchen. Uh, and then from there, I think we're going to move into that whole other arena of online and, and mailers. In a way, does it seem like what you really want to do is work in a restaurant again? Or Yeah, I, I think so. I think my roots uh, are there. I, you know, I think that just the combination of food and wine is um it's pretty rooted with me yeah so <laughs> you know from a pace standpoint i think i really enjoy the hustle of restaurant work bringing food into uh, red and white is going to allow me to get back in touch with the kitchen um which i'm excited for but yeah i, I think essentially i'm more of that mindset that restaurant mindset where i need to be 
busy all the time. Not that I'm not busy at the shop, but there is downtime. It's kind of an ebb and flow with a small retail shop. It's red before white at red and white wines and it's natural before wine at the same place because of Nathan Adams. Thank you very much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Levy. Nathan Adams of Red and White Wines in Chicago. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.